Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to the Women of Golf show. I'm Ted Odorico and alongside uh, with me is Legends Tour player and LPJ professional Cindy Miller and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf show. Uh, good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you today? Uh, I'm, I'm a little happier this week. Uh, we've actually got back to having some sunshine here in Florida. It's uh, As I mentioned last week on the show, we've been uh, pummeled here with rain for, for about a week straight. Certainly not as bad as Louisiana has been getting it, but uh, Nevertheless, it's been uh, a little unpleasant, so I'm very happy to see the sun shining here the last couple of days. But other than that, doing uh, fantastic. Um, let me just, Cindy, before we, we get the show going here, let me just remind everybody, of course, uh, we are live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, for those of you that uh, are not uh, exactly sure of what time we're on, um, go to blogtalkradio.com and type in Women of Golf, and that will take you to the main page, and you can listen to the current show there. And for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, uh, again, if you go to the link, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Women of Golf, and just scroll down to the on-demand section, you can listen to uh, all of our broadcasts uh, that have been uh, recorded for for your uh, uh, pleasure. Uh, You can also go to iTunes.com and type in in the podcast section, type in Women of Golf, and that will also take you there as well. So uh, a number of ways that you can access the show. And, of course, Cindy and I, uh, update every week uh, on uh, Facebook and Twitter and, and some of the other uh, uh, social media platforms. So you can always find out about the show there. Uh, if you want to speak uh, or call in and talk to either Cindy or I or any of our guests, you can do so by calling area code 347-945-5855. And if you're interested in coming on the show uh, or you want to reach out to Cindy or I and want to, uh, maybe you've got a great topic that uh, we haven't covered on the show yet, uh, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to Cindy at, her email is cindy at cindymillergolf.com. And mine, of course, is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Um, all right, Cindy, this week we're, we're going to start off with uh, a good guide to playing better golf part two. I wanted to add to a part two. I, I thought of some things, and we're going to use some examples uh, from uh, the Masters earlier this year, and uh, plus throw in a few other things here as we go along. Uh, we're going to examine, and I, and I kind of regret using this word, one's faults, and sort of turning them into a learning opportunity. I don't, when I thought about it last night, uh, I don't really like to use the word faults, so I'm going to switch that and let's call it maybe some of the challenges that we might be faced, and we'll give you some examples of that as well. And then a little bit later in the show, Cindy, of course, um, Sue Kaffenberg is going to be joining us. She's a PGA and LPGA teacher professional at Bayberry Hills uh, Golf Club on uh, Cape Cod. Uh, she'll be joining us in the second half. But um, um, And Cindy, your course, you're going to be away the next couple of weeks. Um, you've got some, some things going on. Why don't you let uh, the listeners know what you're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks? Well, I had the opportunity yesterday to play in the Wendy's Charity Classic in Jackson, Michigan, at Jackson Country Club, where we raised $275,000 for adoption. Wow. The Dave Thomas um, Wendy's 
uh, Foundation always raises money for adoption for kids uh, to find their forever homes. It's not for little tiny babies that are cute and everybody wants. It's the it's the older right. kids that might have some issues that uh, not everybody wants. So they've had over um, a thousand adoptions since they started. Wow! It. So these kids have found wow. their forever homes, and that was great. I we had a great time. Uh, and now I'm on my way to French Lick for the Legends Open Championship at French mm-hmm. Lick Resort in French Lick, Indiana. And the week after, I will be playing in the LPGA National Teaching and uh, Club Professional Championship. Very good. Now, you, I, me- I remember last week you had mentioned just very quickly uh, a little bit about French Lick, and you were talking about it was one of the hardest courses that you've ever played. Um, just explain for those that maybe didn't tune in last week, um, what you've noticed or why, why it's so difficult, what some of the challenges that you're going to be facing next week? Well, the Pete Dye course, there's two courses at French Lick, and by the way, it's a gem in the Midwest. It's unbelievably awesome. But um, the Pete Dye course has such undulations, and you're either on the course or you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're standing over the shot, you're like, Please don't kill yourself, right? And so you can't think that thought. You have to think of where you want it right. to go, and you really have to stay focused on the task at hand, which, again, is the, you know, the guide to playing your game, I guess you could say. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm going to be tested to the utmost of my ability, and so will the other uh, 49 players that are going to be there. Um, it's just so hard. It's so hard. And the greens are okay, but they're so undulating, and if you miss the green. You know, you might have a flop shot up 20 feet that you have mm. to stop it on the top of a pizza. And if you don't, you're on the other side down 20 feet. So <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's kind of a nightmare. You might wake well, up in Cindy, the middle of the night not able to breathe. <laughs> well, Cindy, I'll be I'll be praying for you this week because <laughs> that sounds I, like I it's going to be a, a tough yeah. challenge. <laughs> well, and you know Fantastic. what's funny, there's two you got to laugh because there's two part threes that own me, number eight and number 16. And when I found out I got the tournament, Alan said, all right, are we ready to kick on number eight and number 16? And I don't know why, but I just stand over the shot, and I can't wait to play my practice around tomorrow. And and it's, it's like I'm possessed, and I've made like sevens on these part threes. Wow. So, um, yeah, Jordan, Steve, and I. So, Anyway, I've got a I've got a challenge and uh I've gotta overcome these two par threes on the whole golf course and not let it beat me up. It doesn't matter how old you are, sometimes the course wins. <laughs> well, as you've always said here on the show, Cindy, you've you've gotta go and play your game and you've gotta own your game and um I think those are, are, are great uh, analogies to use and, and I know that you'll do very well um regardless and, and there's certainly gonna be some challenges. We're gonna talk about some of those challenges today. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned uh, Jordan Spieth. We're going to talk a little bit about him as well. Um, under the talking points today, we're, we're going to do a, a sort of a 2016 Masters recap, some things that, that I made some notes. And I've actually done a little bit of, of this on uh, my other show, Golf Talk Live, with the uh, Coach's Corner panel. And uh, the reason I wanted to talk about some of these things is because really these scenarios, we've all kind of been faced in one way or another, certainly you know, um, for those that haven't played on, on the professional level, 
uh, it's a little bit different. But even in, in, in some of the amateurs out there uh, struggle with some of the same issues that we're going to talk about here. So I thought this would be a great one. So um, we're going to go with, as I said, it's a good guide to playing better golf, part two, examining one's challenges and then turning them into a learning opportunity. So, for example, uh, Jordan Spieth, as, as you had mentioned here, after round three, he stated, because um, he had been using his uh, three wood off the tee for a number of holes, and then changed and switched to the driver and obviously had uh, some issues. So in, in his, his own assessment, um, he kind of alluded to the fact that he made a mental error. So my, my question is this, Cindy, did he make a mental error that maybe cost him some strokes? And if so, what could our amateurs take away from this mistake? In other words, um, he'd been playing with a club, had been serving him well. He switched back to his driver for uh, on a particular hole, and I don't recall what hole it was, but it was after the third round and it was final round. And, of course, uh, you know, he'd been leading the tournament for a while, um, and, it, and it cost him some strokes. Was that a mental error, do you think, that cost him those strokes? Uh, or it was just a, a good old-fashioned honest mistake? I think it was a – I don't know if you want to call it a mental error, but I think you need to stick to your game plan. And and when you change your game plan, your subconscious mind has a tendency to say, oh, what are we doing now? Well, this is different, and mm-hmm. why are we doing this? And then there might be doubt and apprehension that creep in, and when that happens, um, you're kind of done. So once you yeah. make a game plan, you got to stick to the game plan. Yeah, and, and obviously he, you know, he talked about, and this was, of course, uh, came out in, in uh, the press conference afterwards, and you know he talked about how, um, you know, he had been using his three wood because he wasn't really comfortable with his driver um, at that particular time, and it was very odd that he he actually went to the driver on that particular hole, considering that he, he you know, mentally had been struggling with physically had been struggling with, but mentally he knew in his mind that that wasn't going to work out for him. And it was very, really a lot of people found it very odd that he would make that, that, that switch like that. Um, But, you know, the thing that I like about this is, and this is where it becomes a learning uh, tool, if you will, for, for amateurs out there. Um, You're certainly going to make some, some mistakes. You're going to make some, maybe some bad judgments in that, but you need to, recognize that and as you pointed out Cindy you need to stick with that game plan if you come in with a game plan you need to stick with it because if you start changing that then it it builds up momentum when when you start having some errors or or, uh, challenges without your round if you deviate from the game plan that you went into uh, more often than not your round's going to collapse because you're not confident anymore You, you lose that confidence and I think that's what he was trying to allude to is he made, a, in his mind, a mental error that cost him a few strokes, and he didn't stick with his game plan at that particular juncture. Um, yes. The other thing that, yeah, and the other thing too, Cindy, that, uh, and this is sort of goes into the next point. Again, we're talking about Jordan Spieth um, on the PGA Tour. Um, for, throughout most of his rounds, he was leaking a lot of his shots to the right, which many amateurs, I'm sure his version of leaking to the right and many amateurs leaking to the right are probably two different things. Um, but it goes to the, sort of the second point here. Um, these shots, he had been uh, leaking out to the right throughout his rounds. Um, and this is really a question for, for, from an amateur standpoint. You know, should I try to adjust mid-round or work with what I have at that particular moment and then correct things afterwards? And if so, um, why? Um, your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, you're supposed to work with what you've got. 
But I think that would go back to your personality. You know, what's your tendency? There's no way I'm not going to try to fix it. You know, maybe I need to not do that, but, um, or I might, I've got what I call a fairway finder. I might say, wow, I just don't have it today. I got to go to the fairway finder. And that's kind of like a a bailout and bunt shot, you know? Um, Yeah. It it depends on the personality. I mean, some people might just say, oh, well, I I just got to go with what I've got. And uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm probably going to. Sorry, go ahead. I'm going to try to fix it. I probably shouldn't, but I would try to fix it. Yeah, and and, and this differs too. And I want to point this out because Cindy, you know, you've you've played at a much higher level than the majority uh, of amateurs out there. Um, and and there's really two ways to go with this. I think if you're somebody um, who's in the professional realm and you've you've obviously um, learned a lot along the way, you've got a lot of experience. You know what adjustments you can make, or um, you know you know the situation out there when you're playing in a, in a round. Just like you know you talked about a moment ago, going to French Lick. You know you know what to expect going there, and if you're not doing certain things a certain way um, or deviate somehow from, as we talked about a moment ago, from your game plan, um, you have the ability to make those adjustments. And it depends on the level of adjustment. If you're making major changes in the middle of a round, that could be very very costly. Um, but a few minor tweaks here. Yeah. A few minor tweaks here and there, I think would be acceptable again, depending on the level of player that you are. And also, um, the type of personality as you pointed out as well. I mean, some people that are a little more aggressive in, in their approach to to their game, um, maybe want to do that. But again, you've got to be careful and you've got to be confident, you know, obviously send you're confident in your abilities to be able to make some changes. There's a lot of golfers out there. Um, again, especially some of our higher handicap golfers that don't have that confidence yet. And, uh, and that we're going to well, talk about that too as well. Go ahead. I I think as well that when you lose your swing and, you know, do you panic, what's your internal chatter saying? <clears throat> Is it like, oh, boy, here we go again. You always screw this up. You know, if that's what's going on in your head, then you're going to probably continue to hit it bad, if not worse. But if you say, oh, I remember my last lesson, I know how to fix this, I can do this. So it depends on your ability level and do you know how to correct your mistakes. If you don't, mm-hmm. then you got to just go with what you've got and, right. and surrender. If not, you know, try to fix it, I would say. Yeah, and that's what I – and, again, that comes with, with ability, and that's something that, that really any golfer can learn – given the right circumstances. And I think that, you know, amateurs that try to do this on their own and don't maybe have the proper tools, and I'm not referring to golf clubs, I'm talking about the the mental tools and the abilities, the skills, if you will, um, to be able to make those adjustments are just sort of, uh, you know, drifting in the wind. And this is where working with, you know, a a golf professional or coach, depending on on your level of of commitment, um, can really help because, they understand some of the adversities that you're going to be faced with out there in the golf course, and they can show you ways and techniques to be able to handle different situations. Like our next example, um, you know, in, in the, um, in, in Augusta, of course, everybody's familiar with the greens and how, how slick and fast they can be. Um, and I'm sure the said can be same for, uh, French lick. And we're going to use that one as an example, since, since you're playing there next week. 
Um, now you heap up some wind onto a difficult situation, and all of a sudden you've got a much different scenario. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, imagine saying, now I want you to fast forward to next week. You know how tough the course is. The, the greens are tough. As you said, you know, if you miss the green, you could be uh, flopping it up 20, uh, you know, 20 feet or so just to get back on the green. Now you heap in maybe a, a 10, 15, maybe a plus mile an hour wind on top of that. Now you've got a whole different scenario. What can a player do to, to, to adjust uh, or can they adjust um, to that scenario? Well, what you need to do is you need to realize that when the conditions become more adverse, the scores go up. And you need to realize that everyone is in the same pile as you. And right. we're all having a challenge. And then you have to do, it's your perspective on the conditions. So you have to say, okay, there's really not a whole lot I can do. I may need to bump this, take an extra club, you know, take a half swing and run it up there if I can. You've got to do whatever you've got to do to score and to get through the conditions. And that's just, you know, that takes mental strength and toughness. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you only gain that by being in the situation and having experienced bad situations and difficult situations. And the more you experience that, the better you get at handling them. You know, at first you might go, Oh my God, I can't do this. You know, well, great. You might as well throw your scorecard in the toilet, you know, but um, you have to learn how to deal with it. Yeah. And, and, and as far as the greens are concerned, you know, some things that you can do, um, you know, take a slightly wider stance, um, when you're standing on the green to make sure, especially if you've got a, if you've got a light wind, you know, you, you can sort of go as normal, but if you're dealing in maybe a stronger wind, maybe you're, you're, you know, you're looking at, uh, 15, 20 miles an hour plus, uh, and, and especially if it's gusty, uh, you can lose your balance very easy. You're certainly maybe not going to topple over, but you're not going to be very stable over the pot. So you want to make sure that you've got, you're working with a good stable base. And certainly the same applies, uh, out on the golf course. The other thing, um, you know, when you're, as you said, you might have to bunt uh, and just to advance it up the fairway. The other thing that you certainly want to do as well, uh, again, when you're dealing with windy conditions, uh, depending on which way the wind is going, if it's coming into your face, of course, you want to keep the ball uh, on a lower trajectory so it doesn't balloon up and end up losing distance. You're going to lose some distance in, in a lot of cases anyways, um, but, you know, less is more. So, um, that's something too. Again, it may be a, a slightly wider stance uh, to give yourself that stability. And you maybe want to hit more of a punch style shot into the wind. So it sort of bores through the wind and gives you that little bit of, of leverage that way. Um, obviously, if the wind's behind you, then, you know, you might want to go for it depending on the circumstance of the shot. If you're approaching the green, well, then, you know, you got to be careful of that. You don't fly over the green and, and have that 20 yard or 20 foot flop shot to get back up on the green. I want to, um, Cindy, the next one, and I skipped over this for a reason because I told you before we went live that I had a sort of analogy that I wanted to use um, because I think it falls under this. Um, We've all been in pressure situations, uh, and going back to our our good friend Jordan Spieth uh, this year at the Masters, he was leading after 54 holes, um, and then Sunday began, you know, on the back nine. It seemed to sort of slip away, and, and, you know, again, it's everybody's perspective. Some people say, well, you know, it, it slipped away from him. That could be true or false, depending on how you look at things. Um, but I, I watched a, a, a show last night, and, and, and there's, a, there's a point that I want to make here first, and then I'll, I'll let you uh, chime in with some thoughts as well. Um, for those of you in, in my age bracket and, and maybe a little older would, would know this uh, story, but it was um, Lassie Come Home, which is the story of a border collie 
uh, a dog and uh, a young boy, particularly is who the story focuses around. And uh, for one reason or another, they get separated and uh, by several hundred miles. And this dog um, decides that, you know, that Mrs. Little Boy wants to come home. And the gist of the story is it's that sort of the journey of this dog making its way over a hill and there and through water and so forth um, with a lot of navigating a lot of adversities. And it's very similar out in the golf course. Um, we have to have a defined goal. The dog had a defined goal. It wanted to get home to this little boy. Uh, we have to say the same thing when we're out there in the golf course. We have to have a specific goal in mind, what our long-term goal is, what our short-term goals is, and then we may have to navigate our way uh, around the golf course in order to achieve that goal. Um, so, and there's going to be pressures. You know, in the case of the dog, um, you know, there were challenges that presented itself, uh, you know, a, a sort of a nasty river that, that this dog had to navigate through. Uh, there were some uh, gentlemen, that, a couple of gentlemen that had a gun that were shooting at it and so on. And certainly you're not going to have that in the golf course, but you're going to be faced with, with difficult <laughs> challenges out there. Hopefully nobody's doing that. But um, the, the, the point that I wanted to make with this is a lot of times we get under pressure uh, situations and we lose focus of that goal. We focus in the moment and we get sort of uh, verklempt, I guess, is the word we're looking for. And we, we navigate away from, from our, our, our goal. And that can be detrimental to, to your game overall, but also to whatever round you may be in. So, um, Cindy, what can a player do um, to sort of help handle that uh, under pressure situation and maintain that focus? What do they need to do mentally, uh, if you will, to focus on that goal? Well, I think they need to stop and say, what can I do about the situation? And if I can't change, you know, the the weather mm-hmm. or if I'm swinging bad or if I'm fast, the more aware they are of themselves, um, am I trying too hard? They have to be able to know themselves to be able to adapt and make a change. And if they don't, you know, then... It's going to be a meltdown. Now, well, I was fine until the last three holes, and I went eight, eight, eight. You know, well, why did that happen? Well, I don't know. Well, no, why did that happen? What did you start right. thinking about? What were you focused on? You know, and if they aren't aware of that, then they're not mature enough, and they haven't experienced enough. I don't want to say pain, but they haven't. They're not ready to handle it and take responsibility. So that's the catch is are you ready to take responsibility for your own game and figure out why you make mistakes and what you can do about them when they happen. And, and the wiser you become, the more you're able to adapt and adjust and fix it. Yeah. You know, what, what's interesting, well said, by the way, what, what's interesting, Cindy, is I think a lot of amateurs focus on the wrong things. Now, give you an example. It's certainly, and as you pointed out last week, it's very important to, to hit the ball well, to be, um, you know, to hit it solidly and, and repetitively uh, as possible. Obviously, everybody plays a little bit differently, but um, you have to have that because that helps give you confidence uh, in your abilities. Um, but you also have to be uh, knowledgeable on the golf course. You have to understand what you're going to be facing with, and you have to have a skill set, if you will, how to challenge um, yourself in those different situations. And that comes with time and experience. I think the biggest mistake that amateurs do is they're so gosh darn, um, you know, focusing on having the pitcher perfect swing and just hitting that ball just perfectly 
that they don't create a scenario for themselves in their practice sessions that emulate what's really happening on the golf course. It's, you know, as we've said many, many times, you know, so the rake and hit, rake and hit, and, and they, you know, hitting off perfect lies all the time, and they're not really focusing on what potentially they may be faced with out in the golf course. They just want to see that ball flight look perfect. And then when they get out there and it's not going the way that they thought, suddenly their goal drifts away. You know, as you said, they're thinking about 20 different things out there because they're no longer in the game. They're thinking about something else. Now they're thinking about after the round because they're not having a good round. So that's something else as well, I think, that we have to be mindful of when we're working with students is is helping them to understand, yes, it's important to build solid fundamentals, but it's also important to create uh, a sound game plan as well as understanding how to deal with adversities out in the golf course. And that's really was my point with the dog was that, you know, she was faced with adversities trying to get home to her master um, and how she overcame those, but she never lost sight of her, her ultimate goal. And that's something that I think that we have to relay to, to our amateur golfers out there. Absolutely. Right. Um, I'm going to sort of throw the last couple here in, in one lump sum. And then, um, and then I want your thoughts uh, again, leading up to next week. Um, obviously, players like Bernhard Langer and Tom Watson uh, and Nancy Lopez and, and um, you know, Rosie Jones um, and many of the other players that um, are, are a little bit more seasoned, um, what are some things that they can do to, to be competitive with some of the younger players coming up on tour, as an example? And, and for those of us that are, that are you know, creeping up there in age, um, we're maybe not hitting it as far. We're not as uh, our abilities aren't as strong as they were maybe when we were in our 20s, but we can still be competitive. What are some things that we can do to be competitive? And then, if you're the sort of the underdog in a tournament or or a round of golf, um, what can you do to give yourself uh, an advantage? And and um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, reality. <laughs> You know, and I'm the perfect example of this playing in the tournament this week. I'm going to be playing against Laura Davies, Julie Inkster, who still plays on the LPGA Tour. Now, she's not that much younger than me, but she hit the 50 or 60 yards by me. And that would be like me playing in the ladies' club championship with the normal women amateurs at the local club. It's yeah. like David and Goliath. So so I have to be realistic and say, look, I'm grateful I'm in the tournament. A good score for me on this golf course is going to be 75 because par for me is probably 75 because there's a couple of holes I can't reach. Yeah. And so you have to stop and say, okay, what's realistic here? What's my ability level? How good can I be? What do I need to work on? Well, stop trying to hit your driver farther and go work on your chipping and putting so you can get it up and down because that's what's going to save you. You know, they may knock it 20 feet and two putts for par, and you've got to get it up and down and make a six-footer for par. You both made par, but it was totally different. So you have to just be aware of that. And then, you know, if if something like that bothers you, one of our really good players I heard yesterday is not coming. I said, why? Is she sick? No, she's not playing well. She doesn't want to play. She's not playing well. I said, okay, there you go. So she said, I'm not going. It's not important to me. Well, that's right. Good. You know, so it's realistic expectations and, and being able to look at the truth and say, what can I do about it? And, you know, 
there comes a point when you just have to be honest and say, I'm not as good or I'm too old or I don't hit it far enough. Well, where else can I win? You know, what can I do? Well, go play in the club championship or, you know, play for fun. Or it, it's kind of like beginners saying, well, I shouldn't use a tee. And I said, well, who told you you can't use a tee? Why don't you, you know, sometimes we need a blankie or training wheels to start with. <laughs> so, yeah. right? You're right. Right. No, you're exactly right. Um, you know, so well, do you want to is... sit home and pout or do you want to go play and use a tee and have some fun? Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. And, and you you hit the you use the words that really that that is paramount, and that is fun. You know, golf is supposed to be fun. Of course, it has its challenges, just like life has challenges. Um, but at the same time, ultimately, we play this game because we, for, you know, for the enjoy. Obviously, uh, you know, as a career, and and want to um, you know use that uh, in that respect. But ultimately, if they're out there, even the professionals, uh, if you ask any of the professionals, if they're going out there, just as uh, the example you just gave, if they don't feel they're going to be playing their best or being competitive um, to, to the standard that they want. Now, I don't know whether this individual standard was realistic or not. I mean, that's not for me to say. But if they don't feel that they have um, that level of confidence or comfort to be out there, then they've they've made the conscious choice. I'm not going to go out there because I'm not going to have fun. I'm not going to enjoy myself. I'm going to be thinking to myself, what am I doing here? And you're right. The amateurs have to be willing to do that and be realistic. That doesn't mean you don't never pick up a golf club and go out there again, but you might need to make adjustments um, in, in the way you approach things in order to be able to um, have that fun. Because if you're not having fun, it can be miserable for any, I don't care what level you are. Even the professionals will tell you that it can be miserable out there if you're not having fun and you're not playing well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, but, you know, so these were just some things that, that Cindy, I thought would be interesting to, to sort of talk about because, uh, and I know that I use some examples from, from uh, a couple of the, um, particularly Jordan, but uh, from the professional level, but they can be applicable to any level. Uh, I think a lot of golfers out there um, can be very re- unrealistic in their expectations they, they get um, bogged down in, in the fundamentals and, and trying to, you know, strive for that perfection, and it doesn't exist. There is no perfect golf swing. There is no perfect golfer out there. Uh, it's a w- continual work in progress for all of us, regardless of what level you're at. Um, and that's part of the challenge, and that's part of the fun, is always trying to improve yourself. And uh, we're going to talk to our, our special guest, um, Sue Kaffenberg, is ready to join us. I'm just going to do a quick introduction here, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, as we mentioned earlier in the show, um, we're joined by very special guest Sue Kaffenberg. Uh, she's the PGA LPGA teacher professional at Bayberry Hills uh, Golf Club on Cape Cod. Uh, she's been teaching and coaching for over 30 years and is one of only a few who is both a PGA and an LPGA member. Uh, she's a resident of Cape Cod, and she won her first mini-tour event in Ohio uh, back in 1981, known as one of the best teachers in the country, she has been recognized for her unique approach uh, to teaching, uh, winning awards uh, in the region and nationally, including the Northeast PGA and LPGA Teacher of the Year awards, uh, Cape Cod's Teacher of the Year, and the PGA um, top teachers in uh, one of the top teachers in New England, uh, one of America's top golf instructors, and considered to be uh, among the top 50 uh, teachers by golf. Uh, 
Golfer Women magazine. So certainly a lot of accomplishments and, and uh, a lot of experience there. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, welcome our very special guest, Sue Kaffenberg. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it sounds so fun. <laughs> Cindy, go ahead and start us off. So tell us what you're up to this summer. What are you doing that's new and exciting and fun? Well, this summer has been uh, great on Cape Cod uh, in one respect. Um, there's been a lot of teaching because there's been no rain. So those of us who teach, we know that's wonderful. The golf courses are a little haggard right now for the lack of rain. Um, but um, every now and then, even an instructor needs a little rain day. So we haven't had those. <laughs> Uh, but the instruction teaching is going great. The clinics are great. Um, this is the time of year when I organize all my trips for the off season. So I'm doing that. Uh, and that kind of takes up my day. Well, that's good. Now, where are you going in the off season? I know you do some trips with uh, women's golf and travel. Yes. It's where just do you a have great plan? It's a great thing. Well, on the website, I I believe they're they're at the Solheim Cup right right now as we speak. Uh, one of my trips, which will be probably we're just picking the date now. It's probably going to be in April. Uh, is back to Casa de Campo, and some of the courses in Punta Cana on the Dominican Republic. And we had a trip there last year that was uh, we had 31 ladies from all over. Um, the Northeast the, and Florida and the, the middle part of the country, um, pretty much all strangers, 31 of them. And uh, we just had a great time. We were down there for five days. Lots of golf, lots of uh, wonderful food, and just a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Sue, tell us a little bit, if, if you wouldn't mind, this is Ted. Um, tell us a little bit of the sort of the itinerary um, for those that maybe might be interested, now this is going to be the next one is going to be, of course, spring. Uh, you were alluding to April. You thought maybe it was going to be the date of 2017, so that's going to be for next season. Um, what's a little bit of the itinerary um, during that the, the five days? Obviously, lots of golf, but what what uh, what else do you do there? Well, there there are lots of things. Um, this past trip, we uh, it's an all inclusive vacation, which means that all your food, all your drink, even on the golf course. Uh, everything is covered. Um, and plus, in Casa de Campo, you get a little golf cart to, to drive around in because uh, it's such mm. a big place. So arrival day, and it's unlimited golf also, which is terrific. So if you get there early enough, you can uh, put your suitcase in the room and uh, just go to the uh, first tee and tee it up. There's a lot of golf. Wow. Um, there, we, we, there were spa treatments. Um, obviously a welcome dinner and a uh, uh, final closing banquet. Uh, we had dance lessons, <laughs> which was wonderful with some of the local people. And uh, there's uh, some golf uh, tournaments within that. Some are for fun, some are individual, some are team. Uh, so everyone gets paired with everyone else. And uh, what else did we do? Uh, I mean, there's just always time to socialize and make make new friends. So now, Sue, since obviously, go ahead. Do you teach lessons while you're there? 
Well, last year we um, I had two little morning clinics before they went out to play. Again, on that first clinic, nobody really knew each other. I, I do survey them. Uh, on that trip, we had handicaps from a low of two to a high of 30. Um, so it's all different. So, yeah, I did two little clinics. I think this year we might add just a little more instruction um, uh, because, you know, that's my passion too. Uh, it's just a question of when when can we fit it in. But but that's the idea. And, and I might even do uh, some trips separate from that, mm-hmm. which are just kind of uh, golf vacations in the U.S., maybe just in the Northeast, something like that, where more instruction would be just playing and instruction and uh, a lot of wine. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I, I like that. Um, Sue, yeah. Sue, let me let me ask you a question, um, if I can. You know, we're, we're all in, in the same business here, and you know, we we love to teach, and obviously love to play golf as well. And you've obviously been in the business for for a number of years, and you've seen what traditionally would be sort of the the historic approach to, to teaching women uh, in golf, and and how some of the transitions in the golf industry to try and uh, approach that a little bit differently. What's been your experience on how the industry has sort of traditionally taught golf to women and where do you see it going now? I know, uh, Cindy, we had, uh, I think, Karen Palacios-Jansen on the show a couple of years ago and talked about uh, some of the new initiatives by the LPGA um, to, to sort of go to a different approach in, on how they handle instruction with women. Um, touch a little bit, Sue, if you would, on that traditionally, what, what has been going on and where you see the industry going um, in, in how it, it uh, teaches women. That's a great question, uh, great, great topic, Ted. Uh, I'll tell you, it's it's really over the the decades that I've taught, it's really kind of sad in a way um, that the content of what we teach hasn't really been tweaked enough, and we <clears throat> excuse me, we approach teaching differently, and I think the LPGA is so very far ahead. Um, of the PGA in this in this arena, mm-hmm. in terms of looking at the individual and um, talking to her or him and and engaging them in the solution. Um, but I, I think over the years, what's made me <clears throat> a little crazy is that the the information that they're asked to um, implement into their system is all like here it is memorize this, come back next week, and we'll start from there. And that's never going to work in a motorsport. Um, right. You know, so many ladies come and they they say, well, I've been told I'm supposed to do this. That's how I start my lesson. Well, what do you think you're supposed to do? Well, some of the answers are just crazy. <laughs> you yeah. know, you get, well, I have to keep my head down. I know that's number one. I have to shift my weight and I have to follow through and make sure my belly button points to blah, blah, blah when I'm done. And it's like, well, that's great. (laughs) But there's a little white ball down there on the ground and all it cares about is being hit. (laughs) What are you going to do about that? So there there is a, a fuzzy blur area informationally for almost not just women but men too of, well, what's supposed to be at impact? Because that really is the fundamental that I think as instructors, we've missed teaching. 
We teach them about all these other places. But, hey, at the moment of impact, this is what you might want to feel. And I can show you what that feels like. I can take a picture of you. I can give you the kinesthetic feel of that by having you have a club and push against uh, a table leg or a post out here on the golf course. That's what we have to work on. And, you know, once you give them that, you open a whole arena of letting them help solve the problem of getting there. Um, it, it, in the beginning when I started teaching, I was a PGA member first, and, you know, we were taught this, this is what you do. And that was very heavily uh, based on, well, give, you know, make sure you get grip and make sure you get stance and make sure you get posture and blah, blah, blah. So I spent a lot of time on that in, in the first few years that I taught. And when you look at the tour, there, there are millions of different ways to hold a club. There's, right. There are different postures. There are different aiming um, techniques. I mean, those really, in my opinion, aren't really fundamental because they're options. But impact, yep. if you look at all the great players, that has a lot of consistency, and that mm-hmm. is what the big thing is on my lesson T. Got to show them impact. Right, and and you're exactly right. You know, if you if you look through history, um, and, and I'll just use the men for for a moment here, but um, players like Lee Trevino, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, they had independently very different looking swings and ways that they approached the ball, but their impacts were all the same. Um, you know, they had the same results and, and, you know, you look in today's uh, modern game, you look at a player like a Jim Furyk and then you look at somebody like a Rory McIlroy or even a Tiger Woods. um, Again, their swings might be um, fundamentally different from one another. But again, when it comes to impact, let me just ask you a follow-up question from this. And I just want to get your thoughts on this and then, and then Cindy, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue on. Do you think, from, I guess, past experience, Sue, with teaching golf, and, and, and I want to preface this, I mean, technology I know is very important for, for every business, I think, to, to, to move forward in that, but do you think that too much technology in the golf teaching side of things has maybe hurt a little bit, that maybe instructors are getting away from some of the basics they, they need to be dealing with and relying too heavily on equipment or machines to sort of give them that information. And we know that there are obviously some positives to that as well. But do you think that maybe too many are, are relying on the technology um, to teach and not enough on, on the actual skills of teaching? I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's such a huge thing. And in the, in the world of instruction, it's like, well, you better have a launch monitor and you better have, you know, maybe a K-Vest or some kind of 3D thing. But what's lost in that is the art uh, for the instructor, of looking and seeing cause and effect. Because you can look and see a fault, but if you don't know where that started, you know, it's, it's not at that moment. It occurred way before in the sequence of the swing. And I think a lot of our instructors coming, uh, you know, the, the young kids, sure. don't know how to do that. Um, and yes, so... Um, and especially for women and technology, you know, women do not really want to look at themselves on a video. They're not looking no. at the golf swing. They're looking at, 
gosh, my waist looks horrible <laughs> and my hair, oh my goodness, I didn't know and so it's lost on them. You know, I might show them right. if they don't if if they don't believe where they are at a certain position in the golf swing, I might show them that. But it's not hours and hours of that. They they need, you know, take me by the hand, bring me back to where I went wrong. If the golf swing is a set of dominoes, you, you hit the first domino and you hope that that hits the next one and the next one. Show me which domino was broken, and I can fix that. Uh, so yeah, I think I think there's way too much reliance, and you know, just like everything. It's probably going to rebound and go back to those days where the, the <clears throat> best teachers in the world were the ones who had the best eyes, pure and simple. Yeah. Well, I, and I think, and, and Cindy, I don't know if you agree. I mean, I, obviously, I, I understand that the purpose of technology, and I'm all for technology um, in its proper place, but there are two things I look at. Number one, if the power goes out or the batteries die, you don't have that technology to rely on, so you have to make sure you can back it up. Um, with, with your with your own abilities, and the other thing that I see, uh, unfortunately, and again, I think it's more with some of the younger, uh, maybe less experienced uh, instructors out there, is their head never comes up from the screen or the monitor. It's always down there. They're not really even looking at the students. They're looking at an image, uh, whether it be three D or, or a video image, and certainly information can be gathered there. But if you're not um, paying attention to, to the student themselves, it, it's almost um, a, a little bit of offense to some of the students because they're thinking this person's not even watching what I'm doing. They're just looking at this monitor. Um, so it's kind of Ab- sends a mixed absolutely. message. Um, absolutely. Cindy, your thoughts, Cindy, your thoughts on that? I totally agree as well. I, you have to be able to identify why the ball is going where it's going without looking at a screen. And, you know, it's funny. I went to the uh, national teaching and coaching summit with the PGA a year or two ago and, and, none of them were talking about watching the golfer and where the ball was going and what the face was doing and how to adapt and change what the guy was doing. They were all talking about looking at a screen, and I thought, you guys, you're missing the boat. You're totally missing the boat. And it's just very, very sad. I I have a a flight scope, and um, I use it sometimes. I, I'm certified with body track, but that's not what I use to find out how to fix someone. So I right. can't agree more. Well, I, and I think what it is, ladies, is I think that they're tools of the trade. They're meant to be used as a tool, but they're not meant to be used as a crutch or an excuse for not um, you know, because the other thing too is, and, and I see this in the forums on, on social media and that, you know, when there's discussion groups going on and they're sort of bickering back and forth, I'm sure you both have witnessed it over time as well about, well, what's the best, you know, equipment to have and why you should be using this. And I, I only rely on that. And it's very sad when I see that because, and it reminds me of kind of a, a little humorous story very quickly and then we'll, we'll continue on. It would allude to what you just talked about, Sue, with, with, um, women on, on video. When video was first sort of becoming the norm for, for instructors, I remember um, you know, setting up the tripod and getting all things uh, equal. And I was giving a, a lesson to a, a young lady and she looked at me and she says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm going to videotape your swing. And she says, no, no, you're not. And I said, well, I want to <laughs> give you an opportunity to see. And, and that's exactly what she said. She says, no, 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 no. You know, I, I won't use the exact vernacular that she used, but it was like, you know, heck no. Um, you're not putting me on video. And again, her, her mindset, her, her 
brain was saying to her, no, I don't want to be on video. I don't want to you know, have to look at myself because you know, my hair is maybe not – and she didn't get into detail, but I knew what she was getting at, so we didn't do that. Um, so it, it is – so what are some ways that, that Sue, that um, getting back to the original question about teaching um, that we're starting to see coming through now, the pike, if you will, um, what are some things that we need to be mindful as instructors when we're working with women? What are some of the, the differences, if you will, uh, between the two? Well, um, I think in terms of the information, uh, I was on a, uh, a presentation many years ago, uh, I mean like 20-something years ago with uh, another kind of famous uh, female teacher, and um, the conversation was about do you teach men differently than you teach women? Um, and we had a different point of view, and, and that was that in terms of information, it's the same. I might uh, present it in a little different way, but we're going for the same thing. And that thing is what has to happen at impact, period. And if I can show you what that feels like and I can do it just, you can even do it in your house if there there are people who are listening who have a club, Mm -hmm. you know, go out in the garage, get your club, press it against the doorway or or some solid piece of wood um, and press on it as if it's the ball, and you're going to see some interesting things. You're going to see that for a right-handed player, when you press on that, your weight gets more to the front side, to the left side. Your club is one line from your top shoulder, left shoulder, down to the club face. Uh, Your left wrist is flat, and your right wrist is bent. Let's go work on those things. So women can um, get that if you just show it to them. But people like uh, kind of skirt around that, like, hey, you're supposed to look like this on your backswing and like this on your finish. And it's like it literally misses the point of impact. Uh, right. Well said. Um, I think the other thing, too, that, that has happened over over time, and I think we're starting to see uh, it, it move in a different direction, is, and Cindy, you and I have talked about this a number of times on the show as well, about putting everybody in the same box. Um, and we gave some examples earlier with some different golfers, how they look differently uh, in their golf swing, but ultimately were able to accomplish the same thing. Um, I think a lot of instruction for a long time was trying to put uh, everybody, not just men and women, but individually, everybody in, you know, everybody's looking at the same swing. Um, but we're all different. Some are taller, some are shorter, some are a little more stocky, some are a little more lean. Um, for lack of better words, and that's a big mistake as well. Um, would you agree, Sue? Um, well, yes, but uh, still, that, that impact thing and, and golf sure. being a ball-turf op- opportunity, you know, most most players, not just women, um, believe that the club has to hit the ground before it hits the ball. I always ask yep. them, where do you think this divot is going to start? And they always come with the belief that we get under the golf ball to make it go up. So, right. you know, that's that's not a gender issue. That's a belief mm-hmm. issue. So, you know, belief issues don't have gender in them. Fix that, and you'll teach the people how to have more fun in playing because their ball will get airborne. <laughs> right. And, and- – uh, and I guess what I was getting at was, uh, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, impact is impact. 
Um, but how you get there, um, whether you have a loop at the top of your backswing, uh, as some players, you know, Jim Furyk as an example is probably the best one I can think of, um, really isn't relevant as long as you get to impact the same way. Um, exactly. I think that you're, exactly. you're you're on the right track, and that's what I was getting at. Is I think that for a while everybody was trying to, uh, you know, get to this perfect swing. Now, Cindy talked about earlier. Um, she's going next week, uh, or I guess this week to uh, to French Lick, uh, and it's a difficult yeah. course. A um, lot of challenges. Uh, I don't know whether you're going or whether you've played there as well. But um, how do you help your students when, with, with some of the adversities that they're going to face at a course like French Lick? There's a lot of undulation and so forth. How do you help your students deal with some of the pressures they may be faced with? Oh, I think that's a hold. That's uh, that's where we become <laughs> psychologists <laughs> with a lot of hand holding. Um, I'll tell you a, a quick funny story. I used to teach uh, Joanne Carner, and uh, it was back when the LPGA Championship was in uh, Delaware. And actually, Cindy, I think you were there. Um, and uh, at the, uh, for that tournament. The, the uh, right off green, the grass was gnarly. It was very high, and it would grow all different ways. And so you would get a lot of sitting down. And, and here's this woman who's won 40-odd tournaments, and I, I've won zero on the LPGA Tour, you know. And she says, what do I do with this? You know, she had so much more playing experience, but it was like, tell me what to do. Um, so it was really just a talk her off the ledge, calm down, and, and here's a little simple approach. So we all lived. But I think going to a tournament is just telling, you know, bringing that belief. That's such a big word for me, belief. Uh, you know, you're here because you earned the right to be here or you're, you're on the Solheim Cup or whatever, um, and and you'll be fine. you got to just stay calm. Um, yeah. So it's not so much about the information, but just about, you know, I think I heard you said, Ted, it's about look at this moment. I mean, we can see it in the Olympics. Even the people yep. who place last enjoy the moment. You are so yep. lucky to be here. Um, Absolutely. So, so that's, Have fun. That's what it's about. Yeah. And exactly. so much, especially in the, in the kids, that element is, is almost lost, the have fun part. You see these kids grinding it out at 14 and 15 and 16. Some of them know how to have fun. Most of them don't. Right. And and uh, especially with some of those younger ones coming up now, trying to make their way to the tour, you know, we see that um, on some of the young uh, ladies there, that we've interviewed off the Symmetra tour, um, very, very focused, very, but they all said the same thing is, you know, they want to go out there and they want to have fun. And if they're not having fun, then they're not going to enjoy themselves, and it's it's an even tougher grind. Um, Sue, let the the folks know how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in, in reaching out. Uh, is there a website they can go to to learn more about uh, your instruction, and also um, when are you going to be announcing uh, officially or or um, for your your trip next year in uh, the Dominican? Right. Well, uh, my website is www.golflessonscapepod. Uh, Dot com, <clears throat> so that's one place you can find it. Um, you can also find me at Susie PGA, S U S I E PGA at Comcast dot net. Um, we'll probably announce the dates. Uh, I know the company that I work with, as I said, is in uh, at the Solheim Cup right now. So 
probably mm-hmm. by October we'll have those dates, October 1st. Uh, you know, anyone can call me off the website. Uh, I'd okay. love I'd love everyone to come to Cape Cod. Fall on Cape Cod, the best. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I couldn't agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, Sue, we want to thank you very much for joining us this morning. Unfortunately, we've uh, run out of time, but we'd love to, you know, extend an invite for you to come back again, and maybe we'll uh, get into some other topics, but we appreciate your thoughts and input into the show this morning, and I know our, our listeners appreciate that. And uh, thank you for for all that you do, and, and keep up the great work. Thanks so much. I had a great time. You can call me anytime. It was fun. Thanks, Sue. Thank you. All right, Cindy. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was that was our very special guest, um, PGA and LPGA professional uh, Sue uh, Kaffenberg from Cape Cod. And, and by all means, go out and, and visit her. And her website, again, is golflessonscapecod.com. Uh, you can get all the information there and, and about her upcoming um, venture down in the Dominican Republic uh, that's going to be taking place sometime in the spring. Uh, she thought around April. So more information will be coming out as that goes on. So if you're interested in, in spending some time doing some great golf in a, in a beautiful place, uh, that may be the trip for you. And uh, as we wrap up, Cindy, I want to wish you all the best next uh, uh, for the tournament at French Lick. Uh, just keep focused and have fun. I'm going to. I'm, I'm very <laughs> thrilled that I have the opportunity. And and we're thrilled for it. I know you're going to do well, Cindy. Win, lose, or draw, you're going to do you're going to do great. And uh, and I'm take going some to notes. Enjoy when, the moment. Yeah. That's right. Enjoy the moment. Don't worry about those twenty foot flop shots up on the green. Just <laughs> go out there and have a great a great time, as we know you will. And you always give it your best. And and just uh, just relax and have fun. But on behalf of Cindy Miller and I, uh, we want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in faithfully each and every week. Uh, and uh, I will be back next uh, next couple of weeks on my own as Cindy uh, is taking a break uh, to play in a couple of tournaments and that. And then uh, uh, she'll be joining us back here as we transition into some of our fall weather, speaking of fall, into September. And she'll be coming back then um, on that show. So make sure you tune in next week. But again, thank you, everybody. And thank you again to our special guest, um, uh, a great professional, Sue Kaffenberg, for, for joining us. So on behalf of, again, of Cindy Miller and I, thank you for joining us here on the Women of Golf Show, and I will see you next week, uh, next Tuesday, uh, here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy, and have a good luck this week. Thanks, Todd. Have a great day. All right, bye-bye.